following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, everybody. How you doing? How you doing? Huh? How you doing? Or as they say in some of those mafia movies, how you do? Good to see everybody. What a joy to come to you today. Hey, I am so pumped. I am so excited because every week that we teach you here and preach the gospel here, we're one week closer to a culmination time for us, a beautiful time for us. Um, it's, uh, it's just going to be a wonderful, wonderful time to go next door and get back to the remodeled and enlarged worship center next door. What a joy that's going to be. And the thing about it, you don't have to worry about any social distancing over there for a while because the crowds that we have been having would probably be about a third, maybe 30%, maybe not even a third, about 30% of what will be coming back and then plus what God's going to give us on top of that when we get in the new building. But aren't you excited? Isn't it an exciting time? It really is. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of that stuff here today. If you're a first-time guest here, I welcome you. I'm Senior Pastor Rex Johnson, I've been here longer than shoes have been made. Um, I've been here 30 years, and we enjoy it so much. We enjoy living here. We enjoy working here, and we enjoy people. We, uh, we don't do buildings. We have a building because we have an, an enlarged church, and it's a joy to, uh, to be in that church one day. But we are here because of people. I believe God loves people. He didn't die for a building. He died for people. And so we honor you today, and we thank you for being in the house of God. What a joy it is to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to speak today on one word, grace. I'm going to talk about grace today. I just think it's a wonderful time to talk about it. Uh, I, I hope that we're on the backside of this pandemic. I hope we're coming out of it. But if we're not, this message will work either coming out or staying in or just beginning because it's grace. Grace works everywhere. When the grace of God appears to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we shall live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So what a joy it is to talk about the grace of God. Would you stand? You're incredible, incredible people, and I've enjoyed the first two sessions, and we have had beautiful crowds today. Next Sunday is Thanksgiving Sunday, and I will be ministering on a Thanksgiving thought. Thanksgiving is my favorite time of the year. And the reason it is because, number one, I love family. Number two, I love turkey. If you want to have gumbo, you go ahead. We're going to have turkey at our house. And, uh, and number three, I love the fact that it's not, we're not having to go out and hustle and bustle and try to find Christmas gifts. It's just a Thanksgiving time. It's just a time of saying thanks to him and thanks to family and thanks to the church. And in fact, I'm thinking about doing something very special on Thanksgiving Day for this congregation. So that's just a thought process. You're the first one I've told that to, so hang on to that. Don't get on the phone and call anybody and tell them that, okay? Because if it doesn't happen, you'll say, well, pastor said it to our service, but he didn't say it to nobody else. But anyhow, turn to somebody and say, pastor, pastor. preach to me today. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Pastor, preach to me today. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Pastor, preach to me today. Let me leave here a better person, 
than what I was when I came in. And if you're a guest, we honor you kindly today. God bless all of you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Johnny Baker is one of the leaders. He was of alternative worship back in the day of the emerging churches, and he has creative ideas of worship. One day he saw a picture of grace on a building in New York City. So he began to ask people to send him pictures of the word grace when it appeared in strange places, and someone sent a photo of a florist named Grace. Another, the back of an 18-wheeler, the word grace was there. Still another, written on an old swimming pool, was the word grace. Amazing Grace was on a faded piece of tape at a bus stop. Somebody must have run into Grace at a bus stop. Grace has a strange way of appearing where we least expect it. C.S. Lewis called his biography surprised by grace. I'm surprised by it. Grace has a way of surprising us. Just when you think that you've reached your wit's end, your road's end, the end of the path, grace has a way of showing up and letting you realize that your life is not over. It may be just beginning. In Genesis chapter 26, there's a whole chapter devoted to the man named Isaac. He was sandwiched between his father, Abraham, and his son, Jacob. And even though they got more airtime and more page time, Isaac is a man that we're going to talk about today. His life is marked by few triumphs and much trial. In Genesis chapter 26, I'm going to read a little text. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, watch this, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. That's some powerful words from the Lord. Then in verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord, everybody say, blessed him. The Lord blessed him. There's nothing like the blessings of God. Does it surprise you when I say these three words to you that God loves you? Does that surprise you? God loves you? Anybody? Okay. Anybody? Anybody? He knew you before you breathed your first breath. He had a future plan for you according to Jeremiah 29 and 11. And before you repented, he came in the flesh to sacrifice himself for you. God loves you. He really does. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. It may seem so simple to wake up in the morning and look at the sun and think, what a beautiful day. Smile and say good morning to everything that you meet. But scientists to this day still don't know what causes a person to sleep and a person to awaken. They can't figure it out. And the networking of neurons that result in our sight and our smell and our thoughts and our speech are too wonderful to imagine. We can distinguish hundreds of colors, and we can discriminate as many as 10,000 smells, except for my wife. She's up to 11,000. She has quite an O factor in her life. And we can feel a feather when it brushes our skin. We can hear the faint rustle of a breeze. And one human brain generates more electrical impulses in a single day than all the world's telephones put together. That's a God, folks. Our emotions, our attitudes, our sense of well-being are triggered by a tiny part of the brain no larger than a walnut. Billions of neurons jammed into this area, fearfully and wonderfully made we are. 
But you know that God is good to you, don't you? You know he's good to us. He created man and gave man an environment in which to live. And just as each new day gives a fresh start to the world, God gives the human body the ability to rejuvenate itself. Now, I want you to do something. I like to, I like to tell this little story. I love this story. I want you to, and on the count of three, I want you to privately count to ten like a second, okay? Like count to ten in a second. Like one. Don't say one, two, three, four, six, seven, ten. Don't do that. Oh, yeah, just slowly, just count like in a second. Okay, you ready? One, two, three, under your breath. In the time it takes me to say this sentence, 50,000 of the cells in your body will die and be replaced by new cells. Did you get to 10? You got 50,000 new cells. I just feel rejuvenated right now. <laughs> this body is unbelievable. And one square inch of skin, there are four yards of nerves fibers, 1,300 nerve cells and 3 million skin cells and 3 yards of blood vessels. And 45 miles of nerves are in the skin of the human body. And those nerve impulses take messages to the brain at 170 miles an hour. Every 2,000 frowns makes a single wrinkle. Quit frowning. Start smiling and get your wrinkle face gone. You do know that God is good to you, don't you? Come on. You know that. Your left lung is smaller than your right lung. You know why? Because your heart's on the left side. And speaking of the heart, each hour your heart works hard enough to produce the equivalent energy to lift 2,000 pounds three feet off the, off the ground into the air. And it will beat 40 million times in a single year. The average human body contains enough sulfur to kill all the fleas on an average dog. <laughs> That's funny to me. I'm sorry and enough carbon to make 900 pencils, and enough potassium to fire a toy cannon, and enough fat to make seven bars of soap. I probably got nine bars in me. <laughs> and enough phosphorus to make 2,200 match heads, and enough water to fill an aquarium. The only thing, the only part of the human body that can't repair itself is your teeth. That's why dentists will never be furloughed or go out of business. They'll always have a job because we're going to need them here. Our bodies are recreating itself constantly. We, make, we can make a skeleton every three months and skin, new skin every month. And you know what? His mercies are new every morning. Amen. Not only did he give us this wonderful body, not only did he give us this wonderful thing, his mercies are new every morning. There's no recycled mercies with God. Everything's fresh and new. He has great, great grace for you in the time of need because God is good. Say it with me. God is good. God is good. See, but the enemy don't want you to believe that. He don't want you to believe that. Most sin is a result of us, belie uh, us believing that God has deprived us or has forsaken us in our life. That's where sin starts. That he has not been good to us. The temptation has caused people all through the Bible to turn their backs on God. It caused Adam and Eve to say, I'm going to go the other way in the Garden of Eden because they listened to the wrong voice. It caused Esau to sell out a bowl of pottage for a birthright. It caused Achan when Jericho was taken to try to take care of himself and steal from Jericho. And it caused Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, to run away from the promises of God. And it caused Jonah to rebel and get swallowed by a great fish. And it caused Elijah to nearly give up in a cave one day. Let's get it straight. In the best of times, God is good. And he's also, in the worst of times, he is still good. He is still good. Come on, say it with me. God, you're good to me. I need a little response. God, you're good to me. So Isaac is an obscure man in Scripture. 
the only son born to the aged Abraham and Sarah, the one almost sacrificed and the one who waited till he was nearly 40 years old to get married. And much like Isaac's life is a reflection of his father Abraham's life. Abraham had to leave his birthplace, so did Isaac. Abraham's wife was from Mesopotamia, so was Isaac's. Abraham almost lost his wife, so did Isaac. The Philistines were envious of Abraham, so they were of Isaac. Abraham remained childish for a long time and became a father when he was 100. Isaac wasn't quite that old, but he was an old man. And Abraham had, Abraham had one righteous son and one wicked son, and so did Isaac. And finally, Abraham was tested, and so was Isaac. In fact, the oral law of the Jews say this, everything that happened to Abraham also happened to Isaac. And that's the way it is in life, folks. Let me tell you something. I don't care what your parents go through, and you swear to yourself that you'll never go through that. Many times you'll be tested by the same things that tested your parents. And there's only two ways to learn. Learn by listening or learn by experience. And many times we have to learn the hard way. But I'm telling you, we're all going to go through some things. In both of their lives, a famine came upon the land. Everybody say famine. Abraham went to Egypt to ride out the famine. He went away from Israel. And at first it seemed like Isaac would mirror the same example. May I say what I feel in my heart, that children, you're going to absolutely witness some things and have to make the same choices that your parents made. And I hope if they made the wrong choices, you make the right choices in your life. Because we need people making right, right choices in this hour. That's why it's so important as Abraham did, to leave behind some wells. Everybody say wells and altars for the next generation. A home that has an altar and digs wells of joy and digs wells of happiness and digs wells of family living and digs wells of future and has an altar and digs wells and has an altar and digs wells is going to give your kids the most awesome opportunity to make a success in life because you have done two things great. Abraham built seven altars and he dug wells all over the land of Gerah. Here's what I want to declare to you. Don't stop doing what you're doing. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. Keep doing what you're doing if it's doing something for God because God's got something great for you in this life. See, we just don't fight for today. We fight for tomorrow. 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 The famine gripped the land and Isaac did what his dad did before him and Jacob would do after him. He journeyed toward Egypt. And God said, stop, stop, stay where you are. God broke the pattern seen in Abraham and Isaac. God shows us that there are no set formulas in a life of faith, see. It's not just doing what your dad always did. He wants relationships with every one of us. Now let me say this. He wants to speak to you and he wants you to hear him. He wants a personal he wants you to talk to him and he will hear you. Can I tell you that this is collective worship and general worship here. But when you go home today and when you kneel down at your couch before you go to bed tonight, God's got a word for you specifically. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be a personal savior. How many want him to be that in your life? Not just a God of the church, not just a God of the preacher, not just a God of this section over here, this section, but a God for me. I need God for myself. He wants you to get lost in his presence. He don't want to be just a checklist. He don't want to be just your one-hour prayer chart. He doesn't want your pat answers to life questions. He wants you to get some heavenly wisdom, not just common sense. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. Not your mount, but your mount maker. 
He doesn't want to be on your to-do list. He wants to make your to-do list. So Isaac heard from God, and there was a famine, and he started to mirror his father Abraham's action. So he started traveling toward Egypt, and God said, stop, don't go there. Sojourn here. Stay right here. Here, where's here? In the middle, watch this, of a famine. In the middle when nothing was growing, and the land of Palestine was right here, and the Philistines that came from Palestine are all in this area, and they're evil, and they're strong-willed people, and they're not God-fearing people. But let me use just three little points here right now about what Isaac did and what God did. First of all, God uses unlikely places to show his grace. Amen. God can show up in unlikely places to show his grace. When God stopped Isaac, he was in a place called Gerar. It means lodging place. And it was the very edge of Palestine and the Philistines reigned. The same place that had been the source of contention for his father. And God said, stay, stay here, I'll bless you. Now think that all that, that, that strikes against this place. Think of all the things that were against it. Famine, everybody say famine. Everybody say overrun with the Philistines, the enemy, and filled with memories of failure. You can't grow anything there. God seems to say, I like working my will best in places where people think that I can't work my will. I have seen people come to know the Lord in their life and somebody said, how did they get here? I was preaching one time at a place and a man walked in and there was, he had missed some of the revival. I was preaching a revival and he had missed some and there was an old boy sitting over here on this side that found Jesus in that revival and the guy walked in, he walked up to me and he said, Pastor, uh, Brother Rex, do you know that guy right there? And I said, no, he just found Jesus the other night and he said, oh my God, I hope he has. He'll shoot this place up. That's a, man, that's a mean man right there. That's a mean man. And before it was over, the man found him and said, man, God changed my life. I'm a brand new creature. It's amazing what God can do, what grace can do in an unlikely place. When you think that God's finished, he's just getting started. He's just getting started. Amen. We seem to forget that about God. He's the one that calls himself a root out of dry ground. He's the one that works when the night is the darkness. He walked on the water in the fourth watch of the night, the darkest time, and he clutches victory from the jaws of the feet. He said, Isaac, don't go to Egypt. Stay in the land. Stay in the land because I'm going to bless you in this land. But God, there's a famine here. Stay in the land. God, there's no, the sky is empty. Stay in the land. There's no clouds. Stay in the land. The fields are dry. Stay in the land. The wells are dry. Stay in the land. The job situation doesn't look good. Stay in the land. The gas prices, God, are getting a little higher. You know, and the taxes are being raised. We're in a pandemic and COVID reigns. Stay in the land. Can I say something? If God spoke it to Isaac, he's speaking to this church. That you're in the right place in the right time right now. Don't run away. Don't leave. Don't walk out on God. Stay in the land. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just stay. The marriage is getting rough, Pastor. My wife don't want me to come around. Stay in the land. My friends have deserted me. Stay in the land. There's a friction on my job. Stay in the land. I've been furloughed. Stay in the land. There's problems with my family. Stay in the land. Don't run from where God has you. Naomi did in the book of Ruth, and she came back saying, don't call me no more Ruth. I mean, Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Let me tell you something. The Bible predicts a day when there will be a famine, not of food or water, but of hearing God's word. 
If you're so far gone in this pandemic that you can't hear what I'm saying right now, you need to come on back because the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. And God wants to speak to you right now that it's not time to give up. It's not time to throw in the towel. It's not time to say, I surrender or wave the white flag. It's time to stand where you are and say, I'm right here. God's going to do it for me right here. The favor of God is with me right here. I'm going to walk in favor with God right here. I'm going to stay in the land. God said, stay and I will, I will be with you. I will bless you. Facts aren't always the truth, folks. They're really not. God says stay in the land. He's telling you, I will be there with you. And all the facts, what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste and feel, understand, does not stop God. God moves in the unlikeliest of places. He found, he found Amos among the sheep coat, and he found David in the back pasture, and he met Moses in a wilderness, and he rendezvoused with an Ethiopian in a chariot, and he finds Job in a trial, and he walks with three Hebrew boys in a fiery furnace, and he finds Daniel in a lion's den. Isaac received this word. Someone here needs to receive the word that God brings grace in unlikely places. You know, I, I, don't, I, I wasn't going to add this to this, this service, but I got to. The three churches that I have pastored had something happen dramatically in every one of them that I walked in. Because I said, God, I've always been a grace preacher. And I said, God, I need your grace. I need the grace of God in this house. We need the favor of God in this house. I don't want, I don't want to do it without you. I'm like Moses. I don't want to go in that promised land without you. I'm like David. I don't want to do it without you. I've got to have your presence. I'm chasing your presence. And so I went into a, the church in Dallas, Texas. There was 15 people waiting on me. 14 voted for me and one voted against me. And the man that voted against me became my best friend. And the beauty of it was that I said, God, what can we do? How can we break this thing, this thing, this downward trend? The church was over, over in debt, and, and, and they was about to foreclose the church. And, and we had a bus. There was a bus that the church had to have bus ministry, and it was three or four payments behind. We was four or five payments behind on the electricity bill, and I walked in and found all of that. But there was a kind old pastor that came over in the middle of January and had a, had a fundraising for us and got us back to level, and we never looked back. And we never looked back because something happened real soon after all that happened in the spring of 1976. Something happened. A mafia member from Dallas walked in. A man that was a part of the Dallas mafia. In fact, he led the Dallas mafia. And he came over one day and he had a big old gun in his belt. And he said, preacher, I hear you preach Jesus here. Is that true? And I said, yeah, we do. He said, well, I want him. And I said, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> and he said, how do I find him? So I led him to the Lord. I baptized him. He started living for God. He found the presence of the Lord in his life, and he received the Holy Spirit later that year. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I had the man that was best friends with Jack Ruby, the man who shot Lee Harvey Oswald, who shot President Kennedy. And he was best friends. He said, boy, I wish old Jack was here. He'd love this church. I thought, oh, my God, that's all I need is Jack Ruby in this church. But the bottom line is all of a sudden the people he started bringing, oh, they didn't look like the kind you'd see on, on Madison Avenue. But when they walked in, God began to change their lives. God began to change their whole attitude. And before you know it, I realized grace was visited in an unlikely place. And it was happening. And it was taking place. And I said, let it be, Lord. Let it be. And it happened. And I left there and went and did some work and, and, and some official work. And then I wound up in a DeRitter, Louisiana, a little church in Louisiana. Had about, had about a thousand people. And 
And, 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 and I said, God, uh, this church is, it, it was just dead. It was just dead. It was just dead. I'm sorry, Dorita, if you're listening. It's just dead. It's a dead place. It's a dead place. And I said, God, we need some grace in this house. And one day a, a couple walked in that didn't fit the mold of what the church thought church ought to look like. And they found Jesus. And one board member came up and said, what are you going to do with those people? I said, well, in about, about a year or so, he'll probably be on the board. He's a pretty smart guy, pretty sharp. He said, you going to put him on the board? I just tease him. I said, yeah, I'm going to put him on the board. And he didn't like me. He didn't like me from then on. But God started sending us some of them unusual people to our church. We'll go into that later. You don't have to understand why. But the bottom line is God gave us something, and all of a sudden revival broke out because grace shows up in unusual places. And then I came here in 1990, and there wasn't hardly anybody in this house. And, I, I, and I'm sorry, but there wasn't a whole lot of people. I had 22 the first Sunday I preached. But God sent a woman by this place who was a New York call girl, a New York high-dollar call girl. She's six foot two. She was beautiful. She had more shoes than Imelda Marcus had back in the day. And she had dresses that women would die for. They saying, oh, my God, this one to fill of her dress. And she was just that kind of person. She just exuded confidence. She was a Buddhist. Her husband was on the lamb running from the FBI because he was a drug dealer. And here she walks into church. She said, my grandmother said I could find Jesus in a church like this. Can I find Jesus here? And one Sunday night, I started walking the aisle preaching, and she grabbed a hold of me. She said, I want Jesus right now. And I laid hands on her. And before I did, before I did, she said, you know, I'm the worst that you've ever laid hands on. I I'm the worst sinner you've ever prayed for. And I said, but the best that you've ever felt in your life is going to be on you when I lay hands on you because Jesus is going to fill you. And when I laid hands on her, guess who won? Jesus won it because grace shows up in an unlikely place. And all of a sudden, this church began to believe that God could save anybody. He could heal anybody. He could touch anybody. Grace shows up in the most unlikely place. And we had a revival. We called it the flood. And more people received Jesus in that revival than were even going to church at the time. Because grace will find a place to do its work. And he always shows up in an unlikely place. So let me preach a little now. My second point, Genesis 26, then Isaac sowed in that land. You got to learn to sow in desperate times, folks. You got to learn to sow. There's a lot of people that recoil in times like this. They recoil. They say, you know, I'm just going to, just me and mine. I'm just going to hide away. I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to hide. I'm not going to be in church. I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm not, I'm not even going to trust God. But you can't do that. In a time of famine, Isaac heard from God. He received a word of prophecy, a nail in a sure place, and he acted on that word, and that's what we call obedience. In fact, the Jews say that this is why Isaac's name was never changed. Abram became Abraham, and Jacob became Israel. But Isaac never had to change his name. You know why? Because he obeyed the word of God when he heard the word of God. And when you obey the word of God, God said, I can run with this. I don't have to change who you are. I can run with this. It's time for us to understand. His father's name was changed from Abram, and his son's name was changed from Jacob. Isaac's name was not changed because he obeyed. In the most desperate times of his life, he sowed. Everybody say, he sowed. He sowed in that land, in a land gripped by famine, in a land with adversity and harsh climate. He sowed. He sowed. Do, do, do you know how much faith that took to hold grain in your hand and put it in dirt and dry, dry ground and say, God, I'm trusting you for a miracle? And God said, 
I'm, I want you to walk by faith and not by sight, and we're going to make this happen. I sometimes, folks, look at the church next door. I really do. And I wonder, God, how are we doing this? How is this happening? How is this taking place? Because back in July, when this famine really hit and we were not having church in the church and we'd gone a long time without having church and then, and then that building wasn't still devastated and torn apart, I said, God, why don't we just go back in that church and have church and build this building when the famine's over, when the, when the, when the pandemic's over? And God didn't, God didn't just, just, just speak to me big time, but he said, no, I want you to go forward. You started this in a good time, and I'm going to finish it in a good time. Because God can show up in a time of famine. So you know what I'm doing? Every Sunday that I preached with nobody in the house, I was sowing seed. I was still sowing. I sowed every Sunday. I sowed every Wednesday. I sowed some more on Sunday and some more on Wednesday because I believe that God had something for us. And God told me we will have a 10,000 soul revival. We'll have a 10,000 soul revival. I'm not trying to get you hyped up today. This is not hype preaching. This is the Word of God. Stay in the land. So, stay in the land. Put tomorrow's promise in the dry ground today. Plant some dreams. Sink some roots. Trust in God. He can bless you when the circumstances seem cursed and when things look bleak. Just keep sowing. So, Pastor, what does that mean for me? Well, it means getting up. It means your time, your treasure, your talents. It means get up. It means go. It means be a part of church. It means come to the house of God. Pastor, I'm, I'm afraid of COVID. Let me tell you something. I've asked God to bless this church and not let any COVID break out in this house. And for the last three months, we have not had a case of COVID break out in this church. Not in this church. Not in this church. From other places, yes, but not in this church. Because God's got his hand on us. You know why? Because we're still sowing. We're going to sow today. We're going to sow today. And we're going to believe that God's going to give us the kingdom because we're still sowing and we're blessing him with our hearts. Get up. Get up. Sow. 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 I will apply myself today. Sow. I will reach out to someone. Sow. I will help somebody today. Sow. I will not lose sight of the fact that God is good. Sow. I will hold on to his word and I will sow in the time of famine. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap that way. But if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully is what the book says. And so in Genesis chapter 26 and 12, then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And my third point is that grace yields the unlikely. Not only does it show up in an unlikely place, but when you sow in a desperate time, grace yields the unlikely. There's nothing like receiving the grace blessing that comes when you do the thing that God asks you to do. I want to say thank you to you people that are here in this third service, those that were in second and those written first. I want to thank you because you have continued to come. You've continued to add to your faith. You've continued to walk in truth and walk in this house. And I want to thank you because I believe that God sees your faithfulness in the land of famine, in the land of pestilence, in the land of, of, of this pandemic, in that land, God sees your faithfulness, and he's fixing to bless you with a hundredfold blessing. Now, just get ready for it. He's fixing to bless you. I'm not, a, I'm not a prosperity preacher, but he's fixing to bless you. I feel a blessing coming on you. I feel a blessing coming on you. I feel you're going to be blessed mightily because you have stayed faithful in the time of famine. So, Pastor...
What, 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 what did you say? He said, a hundredfold, a hundredfold. The Bible said in Matthew 13, he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it. So seed in good ground is when you see, receive it and understand it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. God put a hundred first. Here's what I'm going to tell you. There's a hundredfold blessing going to be upon Christian Life Austin. There's a hundredfold blessing going to be on your life. Get ready for that. Don't come to me next week and say, Pastor, it hadn't happened. There's a lady in the building right now that asked me two weeks ago to pray because of, they, were, they had a biopsy they said was probably cancerous. And they went and did another one, and there's no cancer. No cancer. It's benign. There's no cancer. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. That's 100%. That's 100-fold. From having cancer to not having cancer. From having it to not have. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. There's no matter. It doesn't matter what you're walking in. God has got something powerful for you. Something blessed for you. Something glorious for you. You just got to keep sowing, keep sowing. And you will reap a hundredfold in your life. You'll reap a hundredfold. But pastor, how'd that happen? Because, you know, plants need water and there was no water. All the Philistines had covered up Abraham's well. Glad you asked that. Because here's what Isaac did. Not only did he plant seed, but he dug wells. He dug the wells of his father again. Okay? The Philistines had filled up Abraham's well with dirt. I don't know why. They, why didn't the water taste good to them? It's water. But the world wants to stop. The enemy wants to stop your blessing. And he filled up the, they filled up the wells with dirt. And so Isaac went to dig those again. And the Bible said he went to the first one and he dug and he named it Essek. And the Bible said the Philistines strove with him and he left that well and went and dug another one. And he named that well Sitna. And the Philistines strove with him there and he left that well. Stay with me now, I'm almost done. And he went over here and he dug one and he called it Rehoboth. And here's the point. The enemy gets tired of trying to cover up with dirt what you're digging and bringing water out of. The hell that I'm preaching about can't handle people that continue to do the right thing and the water just keeps springing up and springing up and springing up. Hell says, I can't stop this person. You just keep digging wells. Just keep digging wells. Keep building altars and watch God. Watch God do something great in your life. And when Rehoboth was dug, there was no more striving. I want you to dig enough wells where hell says I'm backing off of that person. I can't work on against them. I can't stop them. I can't hold them back. They're doing more than I could ever imagine. Get ready for a hundredfold blessing in your life. A hundredfold blessing in your life. Isaac sold in desperate times, and he dug wells in desperate times, and God honored him. We're living in desperate times. It's a it's a, a weird world. I played golf the other day with a, with a physician, a new man. I'd never met him before. And he hit the ball pretty good. And uh, so he does more than just do surgeries. He's, he's a golfer. <laughs> and, uh, but but he, he, was this, he said, we was talking about something. He said, truth, what's that? What's that, Pastor? What's truth? Does anybody tell the truth anymore? And I looked at him and I said, Doctor, I know one that does. God's word is forever settled. He's a Christian man. I said, God's word's forever settled in heaven. He tells the truth. When you get in between what is facts and what's God's word, you take God's word over facts. 
because God's word will never let you down. And if God says, I'm going to bless you, God will bless you. He will bless you. He will bless you. You know, my dad was a very poor man, and I'm closing. I'm closing. Randy will come. My dad was a very poor man. We, uh, we were very poor people, and I, I do not say that to get a, a sympathy. I, I don't, don't, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. God's been good to me. But I remember my dad wanting to go to church so bad that he would fix a car because it was broken down. We didn't ever have any new car. And he, a car was broken down, and he would fix it, then close the hood and lay his hands on it and pray for it. And I never thought that was strange. I thought that's how you're supposed to operate. <laughs> so one day I was out traveling, and I had a had a, 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 a alternator go out on me on the highway, and I pulled over. I laid hands on my car and said, "God, this is what Daddy did. I'm gonna do it. I pray, Lord, let this car run." And the car didn't run, but a big old 18-wheeler came up, and he said, "Young man, you need help." And I said, yes, sir, you safe? He said, I am. He took me into town, got me a man to come out and fix my car. My prayer got some people moving. God fixed me on the highway in the middle of the night when I was preaching the word. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. It ain't always going to be like daddy's prayers. They ain't always going to be like grandma's prayers. But when you pray this book and when you say, I'm going to sow into what God has done in my life. Get ready. There's a hundredfold blessing coming into your life. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Hallelujah. Dad, Dad, I love you and I miss you. So Isaac's life came to being by the word of God. And Isaac must have thought, God, if you could bring me into this world by a promise, then you'll sustain me by your word. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Dr. Martin Luther King said in a message one day, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. That's all you got to do. You know what the first step is? Hearing the voice of God through your heart and believing it and receiving it and saying, God, you're going to do something in an unlikely place. You're going to bless me in this pandemic and you're going to touch my life and my family in this pandemic and we're going to sow with our talents, our treasures, and our time and we're going to see a hundredfold blessing. Some of you, if you've never learned the principle of giving, you need to learn the principle of giving because when you give, God will give back to you, but he won't give back the same way you give. He'll give it to you heaped up, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your bosom. God gives a hundredfold back in this life plus the life to come. You need to give your talent, your time, and your treasure. You need to put yourself to work. You need to join a life group. You need to, you need to head up a team. You need to head up a life group. You need to do some things for the kingdom of God. It's not just coming to church and filling your life up. It's coming to church and receiving something that says, I will dig and I will plant and I will sow in a famine and I'll come out of this. Would you stand? You're incredible people and I love you. I'm not going to take you over like I didn't take the other people over. I'm going to let you out here. I heard an old preacher preach years ago and some people think that this is not a true story but it's a true story. He preached for four hours. <laughs> 
I heard him. Now, I wasn't awake the whole time. He put me out, but I heard him. We was at a, a minister's meeting, and he, he took the floor at 8 o'clock, and he got through at 12. And I saw one man have six bathroom breaks at four hours. And I had a couple of nap breaks. But the old man who was a man of faith, was a man of faith. And he went to Bakersfield, California years ago. And the airport was built on the wrong side of town because the wealthy people didn't want the airport on their side because they didn't want all the jet noise. So the airport built on the wrong side of town or the bad part of town. And there was some land for sale right there by the airport, 100, 100 acres. And the old man found out he could buy it for about $300,000. And so he bought it. And he just kind of saved it because he wanted to build a church eventually. He came there to grow a church. And <laughs> it's an amazing thing. His name was never on the church. It just says simply this. A man came here one day and saw a need of people and said, God can move here. And he built a church. I love that. Grace can show up in the most unlikely places. Several years later, 10, 12 years later, the highway of California decided to bring a highway right by the airport, and it fronted, it fronted the old faith man's property. And all of a sudden, that property became hot as it could be, and became the hottest piece of property in all of Bakersfield. I think even Merle Haggard wanted it. No, I'm teasing. Burt Merle was from there. But somebody came to him and said, I'll give you so much. And he said, well, I got this person here going to give me a little bit more. Before you know it, somebody wrote him a check for $50 million for 100 acres. Listen to me. He built that church debt-free, and he said in that sermon, he said, I had a little money for retirement left over. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is when you sow, when God says sow in the land, do it. But it's pandemic, sow. But pastor, it's hard times, sow. Pastor, it's not easy right now, sow. Because if you sow in the times that we're living in right now, get ready for a blessing beyond measure in your life. It's coming to you. It's coming to you. It's coming to you. It's coming to you. And I hadn't preached like this in a long time, but I just want to tell you that it doesn't matter what the world says and the mask we have to wear and all that stuff. God's going to bring us out of here, and we're going to see the goodness of the Lord and the blessing and the favor of God. Bow your heads. Dear Father, I love this crowd today. I love my 12 o'clock crowd. I love these people. Thank you for the joy of ministering the gospel to them. Thank you for the peace that only you can give. And Lord, you show up at unlikely places and you teach us to show, to sow in desperate times and in famines. And God, you always reward. Grace gives great rewards. Thank you for the reward of grace. Thank you because God, you're going to bless us. And thank you because you challenged me to go ahead with the building next door. And we're going to see the goodness of the Lord next door. We're going to see it. And people are going to come from all over Austin and all over Texas and all over America to be a part of the church next door, God. I just believe it's going to be a preaching point 
not only in this city, but in this state and in this nation. In Jesus' name, I bless these people and I thank you for them. And let us go home rejoicing in the fact that we're going to sow in the time of famine. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Clap your hands real big. Thank you.